Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today as part of the Harvard Education Press book series, we're pleased to bring you co-editor of the book, Stretching the Higher Education Dollar, How Innovation Can Improve Access, Equity, and Affordability. We're here with the American Enterprise Institute's Andrew Kelly. Welcome to the EdCast. Thanks for having me. Andrew, uh, Right, you know, right from the title of the book, "Stretching the Higher Education Dollar." This is an issue that that hits all families at all walks of life. How do we how do we afford higher education as the cost continues to to balloon? Tell us a little bit about what this book's about. Sure. So the book comes out of a of a concern that that we that my co editor Kevin Carey and I uh, have, as well as as you point as you point out, millions of families um, and policymakers across the country, and that is. Um, uh, the fact that unless you've been living under a rock, you realize that college tuition prices um, have grown um, uh, significantly over the past decade, especially um, at the same time that median family incomes have declined, um, leaving us in a place where fewer and fewer people are actually able to afford higher education without taking on um, tremendous amounts of debt um, uh, and, 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 and potentially compromising um, you know, their future in terms of uh, being saddled with that debt. So, um, but but part of the problem that we were trying to attack here was that policy tends to think um, tends to focus on the price side of higher education, and that is subsidizing students to bring down the price they have to pay to get to school. Um, and and what that does is it tends to ignore the cost side, which is how much does it actually cost to deliver higher education, which is of course related to the price that that institutions have to charge. And so this book is explicitly focused not on the subsidy side to subsidize students via student aid, but to look at the cost structure of higher education and how it has to change to keep up with demands. Now, the book also focuses, it, it traces the sort of reform continuum uh, of higher education in America from the sort of incremental to the more ambitious efforts. Can you kind of trace a couple of those efforts that have been occurring? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so you know, there are, there are a couple of ways to think about this this cost question and bend, bending the cost curve, as they might say, in, in healthcare. Um, and you know, one one way to think about it is, well, can we get our existing institutions to become more efficient and more productive with the money that we spend on them? Um, and and what we mean by that is, can we boost um, completion rates uh, in a way that's cost effective, such that we're producing more degrees in a shorter amount of time um, for the same amount of resources? Um, and and campus across the country um, have been experimenting with ways to do this. So they've been improving their student services uh, to, to, to help more students get through. Um, they've been moving some content and instruction online to create hybrid, hybrid classes that might be more efficient in terms of uh, using faculty time um, and, and, and less expensive to actually provide. Um, and uh, and that's all fine and good, and, and we applaud those efforts. Um, but one of the things that Kevin and I recognized as we were sort of conceptualizing the book and, and recruiting authors and, and coming up with chapters is that it seems like, you know, you can make progress there, but it's it's going to be, by definition, incremental progress because colleges are big, complex organizations. So the question then becomes, how do you actually change the way that we deliver education and maybe think about it um, in ways that are not necessarily, you know, think about delivering education in ways that are not necessarily done via a traditional college campus. Um, and that leads you to notions of, about unbundling the, co- the college degree, so thinking about what are the different components of a college degree. Um, Content assessment, instruction, um, content instruction assessment, but also things like you know uh, networks, social networks, and coming of age, and all these things. 
Um, and if you start to think about how do you break that model apart, potentially, um, you start to realize that some of the things could actually be delivered for much cheaper uh, than we deliver them now. Um, and that's what the second half of the book really focuses on. I'm curious, uh, what has been the reaction of the general higher education community to these types of ideas? I know higher education changes uh, at a glacial pace sometimes, and then here bringing forth innovative ideas that are necessary to the to the field, uh, but sometimes uh, people are resistant to such changes. Yeah, I mean, so so one of the things to to point out from the start is that the, that the book grew out of out of some frustration, I think, um, on the part of myself and Kevin and some others uh, who are part of our community, that the response to declines in um, in revenue, let's say from the state in the case of public institutions, or um, from tuition dollars in the case of privates, has tended to be two things. One is to the extent that campuses are making cuts, they're making cuts across the board, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense if what if the goal should be to allocate your resources in, most, in the most efficient uh, way possible. What you want to do there is you want to cut things that are actually redundant um, and, not, and not helping students to succeed and keep the things um, and, and reinvest money in the things that seem to be driving success. Instead, campuses tend to make across-the-board cuts. At the same time, they also tend to jack their tuition. Um, so our, what we were arguing for in the book was that campuses actually, what they need to do is figure out ways to um, to contain their costs, but also uh, pass those cost savings on to students in the form of lower tuition. Um, and that's a very that's sort of a controversial. Um, you know, it's a controversial uh, uh, um, objective because campuses t- tend to think, oh, great, I've saved some money on this piece of, uh, of the operation. I'll, what I'll do now is reinvest it. I'll cross-subsidize something else, and I'll reinvest that money in some other part of the institution rather than saying I'm going to use that extra savings to make sure that my tuition doesn't climb um, um, as much as it might, it might have next year in the absence of those savings. So um, I think the reaction from higher Higher ed has been um, has been for, for in many cases it's been uh, um, uh, a lot of thinking about cost containment, but not necessarily in the ways that I think are most productive. It seems like in higher education, people are talking about a sort of. Uh, many people are mentioning the term "the bubble of higher education will burst soon," and obviously, a lot of the innovations you mentioned just now are going to be part of that sort of changing landscape of higher education. And I'm curious, you know, as a sort of futurist, what do you see the role of, of technology in changing this? And then, when when is all this going to actually start to happen and happen really quickly? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, I think I would I think I would uh, put myself somewhere, you know, out somewhere in the in the uh, reformer camp, but not necessarily in the futurist camp. I tend to not think I I don't tend to think actually that technology in and of itself is going to radically upend higher education. Actually, I think that I think that policy change that that allows people to capitalize on technology, new developments in technology, are which are, are much more likely um, um, to upset the apple cart. And what I mean by that is, you know, right now we have all this exciting talk about massive open online courses, right? Um, um, you know, Harvard and MIT, you know, joining forces to do edX and, um, and, and some Stanford professors doing Udacity and Coursera. Um, um, and th- that's all fine and good. That's great. That is a really exciting conversation. Um, but it's not clear to me at all that MOOCs 
in and of themselves are going to um, ever be a substitute for what college campuses do um, um, in many ways. They, 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 are, they can't be a substitute for the, some of the things I mentioned earlier, like social networks and coming-of-age experience and sort of learning about yourself and, how, and, and learning how to learn. Um, but the interesting question is whether they can actually peel off and whether new ventures that provide courses and low-cost coursework can peel off some of that market, the lower division course market. And what I mean by that is are the courses you have to take before you actually get up into your major and take the smaller seminars, right? And to the extent they can do that, um, that then that then can cause major problems for the business models in higher education because they actually make they sort of use the lower division big big lecture classes. Um, they use the money that they generate from those classes to subsidize the smaller seminars and, and upper division courses. So to the extent that this new um, that this new uh, set of uh, low-cost course providers can 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 get some of that market share. Um, it, it's going to cause problems for the business model. I don't think we're there yet, though. Um, I think there are lots of things that stand in the way um, of them um, of these new providers taking taking market share um, uh, in a wholesale way. Andrew, the the book is called Stretching the Higher Education Dollar. Who needs to be reading this book? Is this from the Secretary of Education to college presidents down to parents and teachers? Uh, who who needs to read this book, and what can they do once they've read it to to help your sort of reformer uh, uh, mentality? Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's certainly critical for for higher education leaders to read it and take it seriously. Um, I would hope that that's what I would hope that that's what they do. Um, in part because I think we need folks who um, who are coming around to a new way of thinking about what, what, what the way universities function. Um, and what I mean by that is is finding you know it's not enough anymore um, to find the best students um, and be selective. And enroll them, um, and you know, use price discrimination to find the best students, and sort of charge them whatever you want in terms of a sticker price. Um, uh, what we need now are entrepreneurial leaders who are really willing to come up with new models of higher education that may look nothing like um, uh, what has what has come in the past. And that doesn't mean that they'll be less rigorous. Doesn't mean that they'll be less effective. Um, but it does mean that we there's a cost. The, 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 there there are elements of this cost structure. Um, that will not change um, unless unless forward thinking leaders change it. So I think that's really important. I think federal and state policymakers need to be much bolder in thinking about how to generate competition and and lower barriers to entry to new providers um, who can offer this who can offer post secondary ed um, and training at a much lower cost. The book is available at hepg.org. It's called Stretching the Higher Education Dollar. You've been listening to Andrew Kelly, a resident scholar and director of the Center on Higher Education Reform at the American Enterprise Institute, Stretching the Higher Education Dollar, hepg.org. Andrew, thank you so much for appearing on the EdCast. Thanks for having me. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.